Welcome to Into the Hobbyverse, a podcast for Marvel Crisis Protocol and the aspects of the hobby surrounding it. Our focus here is to discuss our experiences with the game and help give advice to you to improve at your painting journey. Um, normally, I go into a spiel about, uh, you know, for, for miniature painting, how, um, you know, the advice here we give is help you achieve your goal as far as miniature painting. But it's a little bit of a different episode today because we're going to be focusing on terrain. Yes, indeed. So before we get into that, uh, so, so it's going to be a terrain focused episode. And, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, you know, we'll talk about our hobby catch up here. So. Um, why why don't you go first, uh, Moriartis? Sure, yeah. So, uh, fittingly, my hobby catch-up mostly consists of terrain, although not painting it, not really anyway. Um, I realized the way I was storing my terrain is a little clunky. I just kind of had it all in a box, and especially with, you know, the work that I have put into it, I hate having to go back in and touch it up and then re-varnish it, and because and, it gets handled a lot. And so I decided it would be better since I already use kind of Magnarax to to transport all of my minis that, you know, why haven't I gone through and magnetized my terrain? And so I went through and did that just with all of my currently painted terrain and then a couple pieces that I'm working on. Uh, I went through, you know, drilling a bunch of holes into the bottom of them. And it was a huge, huge pain. And I highly recommend if you're going to do it, do it before you paint your models don't don't be me because i had to go through and touch up a bunch of different paint jobs and some of the touch-ups i'm not the biggest fan of so i'm I'm probably gonna have to spend some time putting some love into the terrain to get it kind of back to a spot i'm happy with Uh, but it is all magnetized now and so i can fit a whole table's worth of terrain onto uh, a magna rack with the exception of my um i have one of the apartment brownstones with like the Josie's thing on the front and uh that one I didn't bother magnetizing because if I put that in a magna rack I wouldn't really be able to fit anything else because of how tall it is so didn't bother with that one but I did it with everything else um and then I think I think that's about it as far as what I did um is all the troubleshooting and trying to figure out of how to get magnets and everything and having to switch out drill bits because you start with pinning them or using like a little pin drill vise to start the hole. And then and then I've got a Dremel that I put a bit in to widen it a bit, but then that doesn't make a big enough magnet for some of them. So I have to switch over to even bigger drill bit. <laughs> so I, I was just doing a lot of that and a lot of cleaning up of uh, bits of plastic uh, all over the floor afterward. So uh, very messy uh, and, and, you know, little bit of creative destruction uh and i'm gonna have to do a lot of cleanup and touch up to get kind of back to 100 percent. but i no longer have a weird clunky setup for transporting terrain so uh, at the end of the day i think it was worth it so so i'm i'm I'm, so i'm interested because one of my my struggles with terrain is is actually storage so i kind of have um all of my terrain is kind of in a box and it's not the best um method so so i'm i'm curious because part of the advantage in my mind of magnetizing because i magnetize all my minis is is the actual space like advantage of that right if it's just sitting around your house i used to put everything in the foam and then i woke up one day and i just had boxes of boxes of stuff that maybe had 30 minis in it 
and and that's kind of when I started picking up, uh, you know, magnetization. You, it's definitely more space efficient. Is is that? Are are you finding that that is true for for you know, household storage of terrain, or is that more for for transporting it to the store, or wherever you're playing? Yeah, I, I that's a that's a good point. I I would say that it's it's better for transportation than it is for actual storage because at the end of the day um if it's just going to be sitting in a box I, I you're probably better off um you know just carefully stacking it in there so that you can get like a decent amount of terrain in a pretty small space uh the the downside to having to using magnetization is that you are going to get a lot of empty space right because it, whatever tray you're using the spacing on it has to be sufficient to get the tallest thing in there. But what are the chances that everything in there is going to be that tall? You're going to have some empty space somewhere. And now granted, this is also an issue with foam, but a lot of times getting foam for terrain is, uh, I don't know, in my mind, it's silly because you're, you're not going to get efficient storage with that at all. So I I would still think that the Magna, the Magnarack stuff is more efficient for storing terrain, but I wouldn't recommend it as a storage solution so much as a transportation solution. That's the reason I did it. Um, Although I do have, uh, what I decided to do for my unpainted terrain is I actually used a Magnarack system and I have a row for one point terrain and two point and three point and four point. And then I just have the That's top really of it where I have my five point. And that way, if I'm like, you know what my table needs, I, I think I need some more three point terrain to add to this. Cause I only have a couple pieces and uh, there's too many dumpsters and cars on my terrain table. Let me, let me go look at my three pointers and I can just pull that tray open and be like, Oh, why haven't I painted my Deadpool taco truck? And and so I just pick that up and start working on that. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I'm currently tra- uh, currently storing it, uh, but I'm sure once I I get my backlog of terrain painted, assuming that ever happens, uh, I will probably switch to a more efficient form for storing it, and then just continue using the Magnetar Axe for the transportation. Yeah, that that's really interesting. I, I maybe need to. Uh, I just need to reorganize how they are. Currently, all of my terrain is in one of those, you know three-tier kind of portable um i don't know what you'd call them drawer things that that, you know college kids get that i I have left over from college and i'm just finding that um it's it's a bit crammed there so maybe i need to get like just a bigger box to put them in um i don't know It, it takes up a lot of space but uh always always searching for a better storage solution for for the terrain that i have yeah, that's that's one of the the big things with storing terrain is is it takes up so much space that it's finding a good storage solution for it. I I, I don't know what I have is working for me, um, but I I also am not really in a position where I'm having a tough time with storage space generally speaking. So for me, it's not that big of an issue. But I know uh, back in the day it was like back when i was playing like warhammer and stuff like that i i had a bunch of terrain for that and yeah, i just ended up with you know cardboard boxes full of uh awkwardly stacked terrain that doesn't really fit neatly together and uh I, it's way less of an issue i've found with the mcp terrain but um d- depending on what kind of terrain you have it can be a bit of a a bit of a nightmare especially if you have a lot of custom terrain 
I think that makes it even more challenging than if you just have, you know, kind of the store-bought stuff. Well, I, I suppose that's kind of my issue is is uh, what I do have currently is a mix of Warhammer Terrain and um, some other Austinans that we can get into later. But uh, maybe that's my issue then. It, it could certainly be contributing to it, yeah. I found the MCP stuff t- tends to be a little more uniform. Which I think, uh, which I like. I think it, it just makes it easier to organize for me. Um, so maybe, maybe that's the reason why it's not bugging me as much. Well, uh, maybe we'll we'll talk more on that later in our our main topic area. But in, anything else other than you know, terrain uh, configuring on your end? Uh, no, that was about it. The only other thing was I, I actually went to a tournament yesterday and won it which is crazy uh, for me. It tells me the scene isn't as competitive as I was fearing they would be, because uh, I'm not much of a competitive player. I ended up winning the terrain with my Hydra list, and as the reason I'm bringing that up in the terrain episode is they have uh, a the 3D-printed Pizza Papa uh, hot dog tr- uh, truck stand from the uh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness movie, that was kind of their one of their prizes, and so I actually ended up with one of those. So I'm I'm pretty excited to uh, get that painted up. I'm not sure how I'm going to go about magnetizing it. That might be a bit of a challenge now that I'm thinking about it. But is it, is it solid resin or is it uh, like a hollow resin item? I yeah, I believe it's solid. Um, the problem is is you have to magnetize it where it connects, and since it's a hot dog cart, it's connecting uh... via like the wheels. And uh, I know from experience magnetizing the cars that that's going to be that's going to be annoying. That's not going to be the easiest thing to magnetize. So I might have to get creative with that, but we'll see. You could um, magnetize. So one thing I've tried to do, and it it didn't work too well, but I think it works in concept. Is um, you could magnetize a little foam tray, um, and then put stuff in the foam tray as long as you don't anticipate uh, turning your uh you know your your magnetized box upside down that that should actually work pretty well in, in concept hmm. so, so for stuff that's kind of awkward like that like um i've done this before for um uh i guess a variety of things but i i, I kind of uh like glued some magnets to the bottom of a foam tray and then put that on there and then just kind of be aware that like the foam tray itself won't move and the stuff in there won't move unless you know you do flips with it, but but that works pretty well. Maybe an idea that you could use. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to think over that. And like I said, I'll have to, when I actually go to do the magnetizing, maybe because um, I don't have it here in front of me, maybe it'll be easier to deal with than I was thinking, but that's a, that's a good idea to have in the back of my mind in case, in case it comes to that. Yeah, it's just kind of a, a one-off option. I, I, I don't use it too often. It's, it's usually been more of a uh, Oh crap! I need to move this stuff around rather than um, like a permanent thing or fully thought out thing. Gotcha. So what well, about I'll, you? What have you been? Yeah, on? I'll 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 start over with my or I'll start with my my hobby catch up. I, I have uh, three and a half things I've, I've kind of gone through. So I, I finally finished my um, my display model, the uh, the Monkey King model. I have been working on. Um, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, Try to pull up a picture because it's been three days since I finished this, so I, uh, you know, as well been forever ago. Um, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. the the non-metallic metal was a bit challenging for me um, to to 
to get correct, I was trying to go for a more, you know, weathered gold look on him. Um, I used a little bit of verdigris on it, and I I think it kind of dulled down the actual highlight reflection on him, but um, I think it's okay. Uh, I, I kind of maybe would do a little bit more. So, some of the beads, like, so this model from Terrible Kids stuff, uh, he, he's holding some beads, and, and the beads in his hand, like, I couldn't quite get fully articulated in a way that I liked, so if you look a little bit too closely in some spots, they you know, there's not a lot of definition on them, and it, it kind of looks bad, I guess, like they're, they're kind of put together. And I really struggled again with painting dirt. Um, so I, I, uh, I didn't have a good, you know, recipe for painting dirt. I, I tried to use a lot of weathering pigments. I, I and I don't know. It just kind of looks not great. But but other than that, I'm 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 pretty happy with it. I I kind of went for something on the back end. So I I started out painting him as the front of the model is standing in natural daylight, and the back of the model is is um standing in a like a cool shadow area and it's a lot of blue tones and in the back of his model is definitely you know painted to be darker and i was thinking about it and i was like well i was trying to think in my head like how exactly would that happen like if, if he's standing at the edge of a forest because he's standing on a log so if he's standing on the edge of the forest and then you know since he's like a king maybe he's trying to protect something so i kind of went for this like glowy like this fairy fire type look in the back and um I, I played around with a couple of colors and I got this very fairy fire, like magical looking glowy things um, that are behind him. And I think it really helps sells the idea of him standing in front of something that's, you know, casting a dark blue light and is, is more shadowed. And I, I quite look like the way that that looks behind him. I think if I was going to spend a lot more time, I would try to um, smooth out that in the back, but it's in the back of the model and it's um you know it's more to get the the color interest there and sell that rather than having a completely smooth effect but i i kind of like how that that came out and then you know uh the front of the model is good i i used um i think i talked about this either last episode or two episodes ago but i used dirty down but now i use the boss effect on the trunk and i i think it went looks okay um I want to experiment with it a little bit more. It's definitely a very interesting looking moss effect. And I put a couple of layers on it. Um, so I tried that out as well on this uh, model. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's looking pretty good. I, I don't know. Uh, I've never really dealt with anything kind of the scale of which you, you painted that there. And so uh, kind of without that challenge, I, I have a couple of miniatures uh, that will give me that challenge. I picked up uh, a long time ago. Um, I was given a. My wife got me a, a Deadpool miniature where he's kind of like crouched down on top of a dumpster in like an alleyway, and it's it's night models back before they did the Batman miniatures game. They used to do like, uh, I forget the scale. It's like seventy five millimeter or something like that. So it's some huge scale mini. Um, of uh, various different properties. They did a lot of Marvel stuff. They did some DC stuff, as well as uh, some generic kind of modern-day and fantasy things, I think. And so uh, 
I have a, a Deadpool for that. I have a Gambit for that, which I got for my wife. She's a huge Gambit fan, so I'm going to paint that one up. And then I got a... Uh, doo -doo -doo, what's the other one? Oh, a uh, Joker from The Dark Knight. And, and those are large-scale ones, and I'm very intimidated to even begin tackling them. So kudos to you for taking something that kind of has this much bigger scale that I, I feel like it's a just my experience going from small scale to even MCP. I've noticed it, it it's a different way you have to think about painting because you're now putting work into details that you just wouldn't have to at a smaller scale. And so I can imagine that that is the it's same experience when you go to like painting this this Monkey King guy is that you're you're now having to put thought into detail that you normally wouldn't like, like you're talking about with like the individual beads. Yeah. And, and that that's part of it. And you have a lot more room to be subtle with a lot of things. So th this was my first like start to finish 75 millimeter scale model. Um, but, you know, I, I took a class where maybe I painted half of one and, and, you know, part of the learning experience there is, you know, if you are painting, you know, a definition or a line, like between two elements, you know, we talk a lot about black lining on the episode. Well, that looks really weird on a 75 millimeter model. Like you have a lot more um, room to be subtle with transitions that I, you know, had mm -hmm. to learn a little bit with this model. Like how dark should I make this part? Um, how light should I make this part? And like, you know, there's the macro shape and then or the macro coloration and then exactly how should I step there in a way that makes sense at this scale. That that was kind of maybe the biggest um not struggle for me, but but like thing I had to keep in mind, although I did struggle with it. <laughs> so that's boring and not MCP related, but I'm 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 pretty happy with how he came out. On on the MCP front, um I painted my Red Skull Master of Hydra. And um I, I actually, you know, started this with um you know part of the monkey king but I, I went to an art store and part of what i did with my master of hydra is i i went to um you know i have a local art store that i'll, I'll kind of pop in from time to time and and see what's in there and what caught my eye this time um was these things that are called it's a type of paint called acrylic gauche paint and and i had never seen these before heard about it so i, I kind of probably looked like I was shoplifting, but I, I pulled out my phone and was just standing in front of them for maybe 15 minutes, um, like trying to look up exactly what these were and how they interacted because, you know, the colors of this brand were really interesting. And um, I, I was just kind of interested in seeing, you know, if, if this was something that could work for miniatures because kind of the way that they're built is that they're a very matte finish. It's a very opaque matte finish. So very similar to you know, so flat, very similar to um, the Scale Artist series, and, and they come in tubes. So I, I, you know, picked up a couple of these Holbin Acrylic Gauche paints, and then I really liked them, and I, um, you know, went online and ordered a box of the, um, more of the Acrylic Gauche paints. And, and and tried them out. So so what I did on Red Skull is I, I really tried to use them for the first time. So I'll I'll touch on a couple that I use. So so his head is almost all of these acrylic gauche paints. And and the nice thing about them I'm I'm discovering is they 
they finish with a very velvety you kind of have to thin them down a lot but but how the paints operate is they're just acrylic paints so there's nothing really special you have to do they're not miniature paints so you want to water them down a little bit more and um the the big thing with them is the finish that they give is a very velvety matte finish which i i think looks really nice and the other thing that you have to do and and i kind of learned this is that um they have a very long working time which can work for or against you so when i say working time like if, if i put the paint on the model with a standard acrylic paint it's going to basically dry up in I don't know fifteen minutes, fifteen seconds. Sometimes it feels like very quickly. Mm-hmm. Whereas with these, you have about half an hour before they they oh, fully wow. dry. So so you can well you have you have like a minute before they dry, but then for an up half an hour after that, you can kind of um, reactivate them with water and push them around before they fully dry into that velvety finish. So, so reading that in the store, I thought that that would be really interesting for web lending, obviously for web lending. Um, sure. And then also, like, the idea of having that velvety finish really appealed to me. And I kind of like the idea of a little bit of reactivation when I'm applying my second layer because that's going to blend together a little bit more. And then when you put on the third layer and you get a little bit less of that reactivation, um, you should get a nice transition between those. And And on the face, I think that that was definitely the case. Um, I, I should have been a little bit more careful on um, uh, my application because I, I tore the paint in a couple of places on the face and I got a weird texture. And, and that's kind of the tru- struggle with this. You know, when paint's on there and it's not fully dry, you have the you know ability to rip the paint. Where with the gauche, you know, it doesn't dry for the full 30 minutes. So you have a, it's a fine line between like knowing exactly how dry it is. Can I... Um, reactivate it without tearing the paint so so that was a little bit of a learning experience for me um the the lightning on him i, I feel like i did a much better job of using the gauche how i kind of wanted because that, that's all a couple different types of acrylic gauche and then ultimately i glazed over it with fluorescent blue mm. um and i think it worked pretty well um so, so that was a big thing I tried on Red Skull, and, and I use a little bit of those gauche paints on, um, on, uh, on the the you know seventy five millimeter Monkey King model I did. Um, I, I did test with them on a three D printed Miles Morales um, that I did, and you know it was really just to to test out the gauche paints themselves. It it comes out with you know I I keep saying matte velvety finish, but it's a matte velvety finish that's supposed to retain its color vibrancy. So I. Um, you know, tested that out on a 3D print that I didn't quite love the model. And, um, you know, they, they seem to be working for me. I'm, I'm not quite sure where they're going to fall in my standard use because I'm, I'm finding them to be a little bit difficult to work with. So I'm, I'm still figuring it out, but but it's a nice thing to at least experiment with. Um, you know, I'm not sure at the end of the day that they're better than Scale 75 or anything, but I, I quite like how they're behaving for now. Yeah, that reminds me of, uh, I know I was watching, uh, I forget the YouTuber, but he he went to, uh, is it Adepticon? One of the major gaming conventions, and he was talking, he was just doing interviews with a ton of the different, like, uh, you know, big names in painting and miniature painting and stuff like that, and he was asking him various different interview questions about... uh, 
paint processes and techniques and what they like and what they recommend and so on and so forth. And one of the guys, I guess, is kind of carrying the torch for oil painting. And he's oh, sure, highly yeah. recommending that people learn to paint with oil paints. And, and I guess oil paints, kind of to what you're saying about these, these gauche paints, is uh, you have like forever and a day to work with them. You mm -hmm. put oil paint on them and you can spend a lot of time playing around with it and getting it to where you want it. And then you leave it alone for like a day to dry because apparently it has just a very, really really large dry time and it sounds like it it this is a almost like a a baby version of a mix between the two where you're you're still technically working with acrylics but similar to oil paints you have a lot of time to work with it to get it to where you want before it dries and that that really opens it up to be able to um experiment around with kind of your transitions or your color shit you know shifts and gradients and, and kind of get it to where you want it before you let it dry and that's uh i, I think that's pretty interesting that that's one of those things that uh, i don't know i i feel like i'm still too uh, too green to start jumping into and maybe maybe i just need to push past that but uh for me i guess one of the reasons why i like the scale color paints is uh, all of my transitional work on that, it, it almost feels like wet blending. Cause I, and I think somebody tried explaining this to me once where I guess there's something about scale color paints where there's a type of gel or something like that. And when, so when you put it down, you're actually kind of partially reactivating the layer underneath. And that's why you get these really nice transitions with scale color, uh, which is, I, I think the reason why I love them so much is it, it the moment I started using those, it instantly felt like I was, uh, uh, I was kind of upping my game in terms of painting without actually upping my game, so to speak. Uh, but I, I think playing around with something that has more of a dry time, especially in terms of trying to get better at transitions, is I, I, I like the idea of that. That sounds like it has a lot of room to uh, to be kind of a powerful tool. So that's pretty yeah. neat. I didn't know acrylic had anything like that. Well, I didn't either until I, I walked by them in the store, and I I, I kind of um, bought maybe maybe a few too many. But there's a lot of um, I'll, I'll post a link to the two brands that I got in the show notes. Were actually three brands. Um, Liquitex has one. I got two colors of. Um, there's this company Holbin, which I guess is a, a Japanese company that makes some. Um, and then um, there's like a box on Amazon that I got that I actually wouldn't recommend that box. So maybe I won't post it. But um, that one to me has kind of been the the most disappointing. The name isn't occurring to me right now. I'll I'll post the box, but um maybe not recommending it. <laughs> but yeah, no part of the part of the intuition, but behind what I picked them up is exactly what you said is like, you know, I expected them to reactivate a little bit and blend a little bit as you put those layers on, and and I think it does that. Like, I, I didn't post a very good picture. I, maybe I would, later today I'll post some better pictures in the Discord of um, my Red Skull. But the face looks really nice and well blended, and and I think that was a lot of um just work from the gauche paints. Um, so yeah, a, a lot to talk about actually on this Red School, and, um, which is good because a couple of things that I, I thought that the gauche paints worked really well for was um, I did OSL off the Lightning, and I think like the very deep blue I used just worked really well for like getting the start of that OSL because it dries out into such a you know matte, subtle finish Is is I think that you know, these type of paints, like, if, if you look, it's maybe a little bit too subtle, I didn't do it enough, but on his chest piece, 
where you know the the lightning is reflecting off is is I put like a very deep Prussian blue gauche paint in there and you know wiped off my brush and just kind of feathered it out. It took really well to feathering because of that slow drying time. Mm. Um that worked really well. Interesting. To give that to give like that, you know, hint of color in there. The exact same technique, but if, if you looked at the rocks he's standing on, on the underneath of all of those rocks, I used like a um burnt sienna or like a red earth type color that, you know, just orangish red mixed in with a little bit of brown to desaturate it to like give that a hint of a little earthiness. And then on the top I used um you know, uh, one of the brands has this ash green color that's kind of a, you know, subtle pastel green that I really like the look of that. So I mix that in and, and dry brushed on there. But, you know, putting in paint on the bottom and then feathering it because it dries in that velvety way, I, I think gave a really cool look that I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy with. Um, so those were, those were two things other than actually painting with the gauche paints, um, you know, feathering both for that you know weather weathering look and then also like having some osl color um, i thought were went pretty well yeah transitioning the like getting the feathering portion of the osl i find is always kind of the most challenging i I have you 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 looking through and i've done a lot of osl now with all the explosions and blasts and glowy effects that are in mcp minis uh I've had to do it a number of times now, and if you go through and look at them, I think probably one of the weakest parts is usually when I transition from uh, whatever color it was to where the glow is happening. And, um, you know, mixed level of success, obviously, but I, personally, I feel like it's it's one of my weakest is that, and so it sounds like those gosh paints would be actually really useful in getting that kind of feathering in there and kind of up in my game on that. So maybe I'll have to look into that. Yeah, link will be in the show notes. Um, I, I should get sponsored by these people, but I, I've enjoyed working with them. They're they're a little they're a little difficult to, um, you know, I'm finding the to paint with, but I'm you know figuring it out. I'm enjoying the the process, but um. So a, a couple, curve. yeah. So so a couple of other things I did on Red Skull is non-metallic metal on you know his armor. I was I was inspired by you. I wasn't quite sure if I was going to do it. Um, but I, I went for you know the non-metallic metal look. I've always wanted to try non-metallic copper and non-metallic brass. So um, I tried to do both on him. And so for the the copper, I, I started with um, a Soflat. So um, Soflat is a brand of artist paints that behave very similar to um, Scale seventy five. I, I or um, chimera that it's just a um gosh i can't remember who it is i don't i don't want to say it's liquitex anyway it's one of those brand manufacturers but i i think that they work really well for miniature paints i think then john has a video about the so flat paints but um so i i, I started with a, a green and a um a burnt sienna or a red sienna raw sienna sorry again and mix those together with a little bit of black and you get this very you know, um, chromatic black red out of that. I started with that and I mixed up through like a mid-tone red and then up through, um, you know, the ice yellow to work my copper. I think that went okay. Um, I, I had a lot of trouble with the volumes on him because of the you know, the Hydra insignia he has yeah, on him, yeah. but 
I, I kind of liked having those undertones of green because it gives a much more natural look to the copper and maybe differentiates it from iron a little bit. Um, I like that. And then the brass was really bizarre to me how I got there. Um, so one of the gauche colors I used was this, it's called ash yellow, which is, um, you know, a really, uh, it's a really interesting looking like pastel yellow, but it, you know, when I think of pastel yellow, I think of something very saturated. It's like a desaturated pastel yellow. And that is really the bulk of the color on my non-metallic metal brass. So again, the gauche paints coming in, it was, it was nice to blend with those. And then also, um, I like the color of that specific brand and, and working with that. So I started with um, German black brown from Vallejo and then went up through uh, ice yellow and ivory. But the real bulk of the, you know, the brass color came off from uh, this uh, this ash yellow color. So th th those were, you know, two fun things for me to try. I kind of stumbled my way there, I feel, but um, I like how they came out. I need to post some good pictures because I'm I'm looking at this really grainy picture under harsh lighting and uh yeah yeah good. no what I'm seeing looks really good I I will say I would love to see some more kind of close up picture of it so I can get a better idea of the detail but looking at kind of the the hydra and the 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 OSL effects come what I what I can see from it um it looks really smooth it looks really clean like I I really like it I I feel like it's a uh, uh, not not to turn it into a contest, but it feels like a better uh, the execution than what I went with for mine. So oh, see, I was about to, I was about nice. to say I liked yours better. So <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of ironic. We both prefer each other's Red Skull. How, how about this? You mail me yours, I'll mail you mine. <laughs> <laughs> you can take it out of my dead hands. Yeah. I I don't like getting rid of my minis. I, I like I like keeping all of my minis. Gotcha. So, uh, no, I'll, I'll definitely I'll definitely let you mail yours to me, but um, <laughs> you know. I'll, I'll put it in my will to bequeath it over to you. <laughs> Sounds good. But I, I'm happy with how it came out overall. Um, my, my final piece of advice to the listeners, if you know people are still listening to my long ramble about this, is to um, do not glue it down before you're finished. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I I made that mistake. I, I you know we spent all this time a couple episodes ago or last episode talking about sub assembly, and then I just you know glued this all together in a moment of confidence and i don't i don't think i quite appreciated how hard his um his greaves would be to paint with the lightning in the way mm -hmm. so um you know part of the reason i prefer yours is, is i think that your reflection on the non-metallic metal is better and, and part of that is because i i can't i i had a lot of trouble painting the insides of the lightning and you know where that reflection should be on the the greaves so yeah, I can only imagine how the that being glued in would have complicated that process. So yeah, I uh, you're you're probably right that and not having that in the way when painting it, I've, I've probably helped a lot. Yeah, like like the back of the back of like the greaves and everything are basically not painted. I like tried to get a mid tone on there, but they're they're just really not painted, which is you know disappointing. But I'm I'm you know it's a small detail of the model. I'm I'm happy enough with how it came out. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like I said, I think it looks really good. So certainly something to so be proud the, of. So the last thing I did, and then I'll promise I'll shut up, is the <laughs> uh, is I started my progress on the Zola. Um, I basically just did his little TV face. Um, I tried, I, I was going to paint my Zola much earlier, 
and then Sarastro painted or teased, you know, his Zola, and he had this really cool look that I, I never would have thought of. Where mm-hmm. um, his Zola is kind of lit in this menacing way, where you know it, it's a really interesting lighting concept. And, and effectively, what he did is like when when kids are sitting around a campfire and you're trying to look scary, you know, you put the um, the flashlight under your face, so you have very strong lighting coming from the bottom up. I think we touched on this a couple episodes ago, or maybe it was two episodes ago, about when stuff looks unnatural, that makes it look more menacing. So I really love Sarastro's depiction of the Zola yeah, face because yeah. he did that effect where, you know, the strongest lighting is coming from straight down and going up, and, and he really committed to it. And so I was waiting for him to finish his tutorial and put it out so that I could, um, you know, copy that. Um you know, basically beat for beat, but instead I, I, you know, wanted to get my Zola done, so I just decided to forge ahead bravely and, um, you know, tried to do it myself. I, I definitely have a general gradation where it's, you know, definitely lit from the bottom, but it's not quite as strong as Sarastro's is, which, um, it's, it's maybe a little, uh, you know, maybe a bit of a missed mark for me, um. Maybe I should have committed to it more, but I, I like how it looks. I, I didn't want to quite give up as much definition that's on the sculpt as he did to achieve that effect, but um, I, I think it's a really cool effect, and I'm happy enough with how mine is. At the very worst, I, I glued on the front piece, so he's sealed in stone, uh, so I will not be adjusting it yeah. too much. Pointing a return. Yeah, as, as we were talking about earlier before the before we started recording the show, like I, that is the one part I, I got done with my Zola, and then Sarastro dropped his little kind of teaser where he's just showing off the face, and I was just like, oh my god, that is brilliant! What a phenomenal idea! And it's just every, you know, that's how you know he's like a real artist is he he didn't have anybody to go off of, and it occurred to him to do that, and it's such a great idea. Like it looks so good, uh, and. It, now mine's already set in stone without that, and so I'm already envious of you that your your Zola is going to get to have that cool menacing underlit face thing going on. And uh, I'm probably going to break down at some point and just buy another Zola just just so I get another crack at it because it's such a nice look. And I I actually really like yours. I mean, I'm not looking at Sarastro's right now, so I, I can't really speak to. Uh, how yours looks in comparison to his, but I feel like you have a nice amount of detail in there where you can kind of really see all the detail from the face, but it still has that like menacing underlit look, and I, I think it looks fantastic. I think it's I think it's really cool. Yeah, and again here just to tie it back, uh, I thank you for that. That's kind, and, and um, just to point out, I, I I used gauche paints for basically all of this, which you know more experimenting with them. Gotcha. Um, I need to put them down at some point and return to more standard acrylics, but I'm I'm enjoying using them for now. Yeah, actually, so so part of my hesitation with the gauche paints is, is when I started the Zola, it looked really bad um, because of that gauche paint. And then I you know, basically had to start all over, and, and I messed it up there. So it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It, it it's a bit of a learning experience with that, but yeah, um, yeah. Thanks. I'm I'm happy with how it's coming. Uh, I think it looks good. I got to paint the rest of it. I, I was I I have the purple base layer and uh, you know the start of the non-metallic gold on them, so I'm working on them. Cool. Yeah, I look forward to seeing the rest of it. 
Whew, well, enough with the you know long-winded catch-up. I uh, just wanted to, you know, I wanted to spend a little more time talking about these gauge paints because it, it's something that I stumbled into, and then a um, couple of uses for them. I, I I haven't seen them talked about anywhere on you know miniature painting, so maybe I should start a YouTube channel and and start the next you know big miniature craze. But uh, for now, I'm I'm happy enough with sharing the secrets with our you know our loyal listeners here. Yeah, yeah. So onto the terrain, eh? Yeah, onto the main topic then. Um, we are talking about terrain. Nothing that we just discussed. And I, I will be full disclosure on here. Um, I haven't painted, you know, seriously painted terrain in... Um, ooh, uh, I have not seriously painted terrain in maybe six years. Maybe even more than that. Um, I, I don't have a ton of painted terrain, but it is something that I always fantasize about doing and, and think about a lot I, in the past I, I used to know when i was approaching a hobby burnout period when i would start to think about painting terrain and, and making a lot of terrain it was kind of the last thing that would <laughs> encroach into my mind before i just like totally overloaded and, and would step away from the hobby for a little bit so um I, I I think about painting terrain, and I, and I hope I can give some you know solid advice. But this is definitely, at least for me, it's some advice from someone who um, is you know if you can't do teach, so I'm I'm teaching because I I, I don't paint a lot of terrain. Gotcha. But I, I think that I have at least enough ideas collected where I can give some solid advice for it. But you know, you have painted a lot of terrain recently, and and are obviously a lot more thoughtful about it. So um, you know, be looking to you to do a little bit more of the thought leadership on this one sure sure i'll be the the subject matter expert i guess relatively I'll be, speaking. I'll be color commentary yeah yeah um I, ironically i'm kind of the opposite of you in that regard and it uh for a long 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 time i i'm trying to think actually i did next to no painting on terrain for most of what you can <laughs> um graciously uh call call my painting career because uh, most of it, I wasn't doing much painting, and I certainly wasn't wasting that on terrain when I, you know, couldn't even make a mini look good. So uh, I spent a lot of time not really painting anything, and then I think the thing that kind of broke that for me was when I started playing Walking Dead. I started actually knocking that terrain out, um, but it was all it was all very basic, very quick stuff. Uh, and then it was only with you know just like with miniatures when I started doing MCP is when I started actually putting work into the painting of terrain. I, I will say though I've had a lot of experience like scratch building stuff um, back in my Games Workshop days uh, when I was briefly a manager for them. That was back before they had a ton of out of the box terrain. Uh, and so whenever we'd go to open a store, it would be like, hey, let's get a bunch of people and you're just going to do a day of like knocking out eight tables worth of terrain so that when the store opens, they have gaming tables with full terrain. And so I got a lot of experience in like making your own hills, making your own trees, making your own cityscapes, so on and so forth. So I have a lot of experience scratch building stuff, but the painting part of that is really only more recently. And even then it's almost entirely on out of the box terrain. So I guess you could say I have a lot of experience with terrain, but it's all a little bit of a, a mixed bag of things. Like uh, I didn't really paint the stuff I scratch built, and then I didn't really uh, 
you know, the, the stuff that is out of the box is the stuff I really have the experience painting. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll don the cap of the, the expert on this topic relatively. Uh, but yeah, more recently, the, the last few years is when I've really upped the game. I, especially, I'm really proud of the stuff I've done for MCP, the uh, the Daily Bugle and the Daily Grind. I, I really love putting on the table. I feel really good about how they came out. Um, I, I put an absurd amount of work into my, uh, my dump truck, uh, and I don't even know why. I think I was just playing around with it, and I ended up just uh, like putting way more work into that piece of terrain than I, I probably should have, to be honest with you. Uh, but since then, my, my general go-to on terrain is, I, you know, terrain is one of those things that, in my experience, a lot of gamers, they don't want to go through the trouble of painting it because you would rather put your time into your miniatures because oftentimes you'll play on someone else's table with someone else's terrain, and, you know, you don't need... So, you know, we always kind of want to prioritize painting our minis and not wasting that time on terrain. And and I'm no different. Uh, but, uh, you know, I did want to have at least a table's worth of terrain so that I can, um, you know, so that I can play on my own table kind of thing. And at the end of the day, it's, it's just painting miniatures like it is anything else. And so, uh, you know, it is more practice painting and it, it will help you grow as a painter and it does teach you lessons similar that you would learn painting painting miniatures and then on top of that uh because you have that different mindset about it where you're not trying to be you know ah oh, check out this awesome you know spider-man with an explosion and and you don't have that same mindset when you're painting a dump truck for instance you do learn some lessons about time investment and uh, useful techniques to get what you want that that tend to be a little different in my experience than when you're trying to paint a miniature yeah i i, I definitely agree and, and we'll we'll get into that a little bit i i think a good way to you know kind of think about the at least how i think about terrain is, is there's two aspects i mean you you touched on it on on your um you touched on it in your comments, but you know, one aspect of painting terrain is is the hobby aspect, and, and maybe we can start with the hobby aspects so of thinking about what you actually want on the board, thinking about making it, thinking about you know ways to present it, and then um, you know, there's the painting techniques, like how should you paint it, where should you focus your time, exactly what you said, um, you know, how much time to put into that, and we we can touch on that on the second half. Um, so the 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 way i i think about terrain and well i guess i think about it in two ways it's the first way is thinking about it in a set board so a lot of the mcp you know terrain lends itself well to um okay i'm going to have my city board and i'm going to have all of the terrain pieces for that city board and having that set of terrain that compromises your city board uh you know or i'm going to have my um ancient sanctuary board like like i guess one that comes to mind is a lot of people do like a kanban board with a lot of um you know japanese style structures so i'm going to have all my terrain for that uh, or i'm going to have my forest board or i want to have my dagaba board if i'm playing legion so you have all of these boards that are like fixed boards 
um, which I, I think is always very Warhammer-esque um, way to think about it. The other way that I think about it, too, is you have like a generic board with individual pieces that can go on it and can kind of go anywhere. So, and, and that's kind of the way that I actually, you know, run my terrain mostly out of laziness is, you know, you roll out a map and then I have, okay, I have these pipes that I can put here. I have, you know, some rocks that I can just kind of put around and um, you know, maybe a building that's kind of generic. So it's, it's maybe a, a thought around, like, do you want to have a generic board where you can have a lot of different, you know, ways to modulate within the board, like move stuff around, like you can set up that type of board completely differently where you know, if you have a fixed board, you can make modular tiles, but to some, you know, extent that where you put things is going to be locked in a little bit or what type of things that you put on there are going to be locked in a little bit. Yeah, there's there's definitely a, a kind of give and take and a push and pull of which direction you want to go because they both really have their their benefits and their drawbacks is that you like I, I had the opportunity because of doing the management stuff at Games Workshop, I, I got to go to like games day and I got to see like some of these just insane, insane boards that they build for these events where. Uh, you know, it, it was a hobby in and of itself just to make some of these tables. And uh, they make for some really cool games. But the downside, though, is that virtually everything on it is fixed. And so uh, I imagine if you went through the trouble to make a table like that, you're going to really hamstring yourself in terms of replayability. Because the more you play on it, the more, uh, you know, the pain points of the board where it limits you know, tactical flexibility and the choices that you get to make as a player and the choices you're forced to make. There's some upsides to that in that the terrain becomes like a real part of the game in a very, in, in a way that you don't necessarily get with modular, but at the same time, uh, it can also become uh, a hindrance to the game because you, you always know like, okay, there's going to be this issue in the spot of the board because where the terrain is. And so, uh, it's it's interesting because the the immersiveness of it is really cool, but that it limits kind of the flexibility of the gameplay itself. And so, uh, it, for me, I prefer the the more experience I have, I prefer something that is allows me to be a little bit lazier, and then also gives me more flexibility. So in the in the past, I would be more prone to wanting to do like a cool, you know. A fixed board where you've got like a you know a river or something that's that is going down some rocks and that's just part of the table or something like that and i now look at that as like nah i want to be able to change it up to do something different and and especially if you want to be able to play around with different you know scenarios and things like that uh having a board that's more flexible for that to me has more value so i'm a big fan of just getting like one of the 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 mouse pad type mats that has something printed on it that gives you a lot of flexibility and and even then you do run into some you you will run into a similar issue where so for instance i'm using the midtown mayhem mat right now that's what i've been doing a lot of my uh my games on and in order for it to make sense there's only so many spots you can put buildings and cars there's areas where you know, putting the apartment block in the middle of an intersection it just looks silly. And so you, you can only really get away with putting terrain in certain areas based on the way that map is laid out if you want 
it to feel real, right? And so there are limitations even with that. And so sometimes you might want to go with something a little more open-ended where maybe it's just a giant concrete slab, like the entire mat is a concrete slab. And then you can kind of, if you're doing urban stuff, you can play around more with that. Uh, and then, of course, alternatively, probably the most open-ended one you could probably do uh, is just like a giant grass mat or an ashy rock, ashy wastes mat or something like that, because the only thing that's really going to limit you on is the type of terrain you put down, but then wherever you want to put it is up to you. Uh, so th there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot to consider there. There's a lot of push and pull. There's a lot of, you know, how much do I want to limit what I can put down and where and and how much do I want it to be open-ended and it, it affects you know the gaming experience a lot so it's I, I would argue or, or I guess the advice I would give to anybody that's like hey I want to have a table and terrain is plan out what you want and think about just the pros and cons of the different approaches uh, and what you will end up with if you just put some thought into it will you'll be happier with the decisions that you make, whatever they are, than if you just kind of start throwing something together. You might end up putting a ton of work into a table that you're now like, uh, I kind of want something different. And then you start thinking about all the work that would go into making it different. And, you know, the last thing you want to do is be very inefficient with your time on it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I think I mean maybe it just kind of boils down to um, you know what what's your preference right like like where do you want to be but it's it's good to know the uh, the spectrum of options that are kind of out there and and you know your preference and and maybe you kind of go between the two like maybe maybe you have one board that's you know your fixed board and then you have you know that rollout mat with the individual piece of terrain where you can kind of mix and match. Yeah, or or even just having like different theme stuff. So, for instance, you've got the, uh, you know, the, most of the MCP stuff is obviously urban based, but then you've also got the space, uh, spaceport or, or whatever that one's called. There's like yeah, it's all uh, the kind of purples, blues, and grays, and with the kind of spaceporty terrain stuff, you could do a whole table based around that and still have it as where you know, it's just a rollout mat with individual pieces. So. Um, I, I would recommend picking picking something that appeals to you the most and then just trying to put things in service to that. Uh, it, it also, personally, I, I think trying to make that fit your basing on your models also is, is ideal because uh, one, one of the unfortunate side effects of this is that the, the basing on your models, you don't, you, don't, you know, it's going to take away from your immersion a bit if that's clashing with the terrain that you're playing on. Like if you've got a bunch of guys running around in urban terrain on their, their bases, but then you're in the middle of like a, a you know, a lava field or, a, you know, a forest or something like that, that you're always going to have that kind of, this feels like a weird setting for my guys, you know? Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Um, maybe the solution is to, uh, you know, rebase all your models depending on what you have to modulate your bases, <laughs> magnetize all your models to the bases. Oh, I can't even imagine. Drive, drive yourself absolutely crazy. 
Yeah. And, and, and sometimes you just got to take the good with the bad on that. Like, uh, so for instance, for my, uh, Legion miniatures, uh, I do a Hoth theme cause I, Hoth has always been my favorite part of Star Wars. Uh, and so I really like the idea of a bunch of snow troopers and Vader with snow on his base. And, and, and so I was just, no, nah, I'm doing Hoth. I don't care. And the problem is of course, most of the tables I play on, you're not playing Hoth, and so I've got a bunch of ice, yeah. snow-based miniatures on, like, a green battlefield kind of thing. And so in that case, what you would want to do, uh, if you want to keep that immersion, depending on how important this is to you, is just go get, like, a nice snowy terrain mat and then get some terrain that it fits that and go through the trouble of making that and painting it up. And, and then whenever you really want that immersive experience or if you want to actually do, like, the you know, go destroy the um, the shield generator or whatever it is. Uh, you have the means to do it. Um, but generally speaking, if if you're looking at it from more of a an economical standpoint, where you just want to be able to to regularly throw stuff down, I, I just just try to make sure whatever table you're building is matching what your bases are. Yeah, I, I think that's really solid advice. Um. So, so maybe maybe we could talk about a couple ideas that fit on those, you know, that one more one-off idea for you know little terrain pieces that you can kind of mix in, e even if you do have a fixed board. You know, maybe there's some opportunities to swap out a couple individual pieces. Um, I think a common one just to get the ball rolling that gets thrown around is is converting larger scale toys into um, statues. Um, you know, Sarastro has a really good guide on turning Disney Infinity toys into statues. But, um, you know, if, if you don't have those or or you don't, um, you know, want to get one off of eBay, um, you know, another thing that I've done is they're just in the grocery store looking at children's toys. I, I found once a um, Spider-Man 3 cake topper that was on clearance for um, you know, like five bucks because it had been sitting there like probably in their back till since Spider-Man 3 came out. And uh, that, that was time. a nice thing. Yeah, that was a nice thing to turn into a, a statue. So I, I kind of have a bronze um, you know, Spider-Man sitting around. So so anything that's kind of in that realm works really well to turn into a statue. Yeah. I know uh, my wife and I tried to collect, uh, they came out with like a Batman-themed chess piece uh, that you had to like buy him a piece at a time and like every month they would release a couple of pieces kind of thing and uh life went all topsy-turvy on us in the middle of this and i was never able to finish it without ebaying the pieces for way too much so i was never able to finish it but now i have a bunch of these batman chess pieces and and they come on these like plinths so they would actually be perfect to turn into statues and i, I think i might just for blasphemy's sake have to just take a Batman and turn him into a statue and put him in MCP and just tell people to deal with it. I might just have to do that. Uh, but no, finding something similar to that for uh, MCP would be fantastic because it would make sense that, you know, characters like Captain America and Spider-Man or whoever, you know, how could there not be a statue devoted to them somewhere in the Marvel universe? Uh, you know, so it's, it's a great idea for a terrain piece. And I, I think when I go to do that, I'll definitely have to, uh, you know, hit up that Sarastro video and and I'm, I'm sure there's other youtubers that have done something similar so I'll, I'll have to check that out so i can make sure to do it justice but I, I think it's a it's a cool piece it makes for a good centerpiece uh and it, it i think it adds a lot to immersion personally because it just feels like something that would be in that universe you know yeah for sure i mean a, a couple other you know one-off things that that work really well are um 
you know, if you're doing a more, you know, not urban thing, you can, you know, do the pink foam thing and make some some stone pillars. Um, that works pretty well. Uh, that, that that may actually tap me out on ideas. What 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 do you have in the uh, the realm of like kind of this one off little, little like easy easy terrain ideas that are that are you know nice to get on the table? Sure. Yeah. So my first exposure to this was actually when I first got into miniatures at all. I I had uh, it was in high school and I had befriended a couple German foreign exchange students and they played this game called War Zone which is kind of like some dystopian future where corporations and countries are the same thing. Um, and no, I'm not describing today. Uh, <laughs> and you had, so you had like, there was Mishima, which was kind of like what, you know, the future version of the Japanese. And then you had Capital, which was the future versions of America. And they, uh, interesting little game. They ended up going under, and then I think they got relaunched years, years later. Um, interesting game. But those guys were pretty crazy hobbyists. And what I saw one of them do was they had gotten like a, a TV or something like that. And a lot of times they come packaged with this foam to keep them in the box and keep them from banging around. And one of the pieces of foam just had this kind of little nub. And they basically, I just saw them cut it out and then kind of carve some of the little bits off and then stick some toothpicks in it and glue it to like a piece of hardboard and then, you know, put some sand around the base and then prime it and dry brush the crap out of it with some, some stone colors. And that what they ended up with was this cool little like kind of fantasy tower. And it was just, you know, it just, he just saw it and the idea struck him and he was like, oh, I'm just going to do that. And uh, I was kind of blown away by it because I was like, holy cow, that looks really cool. And and it was quick and dirty and pretty easy. And it, it kind of opened up this idea in my mind of like almost anything can be terrain. So, you know, soda cans, uh, any little physical thing that has any amount of, you know, sturdiness to it can, you know, you can just kind of let your imagination run wild. And so since then, I've seen people custom craft some crazy stuff like my my wife i originally met her when we were working at games workshop she actually worked underneath me and uh i had tasked her we had to do lord of the ring events and so i had tasked her with you know hey for an event the corsairs are coming out i would like to do kind of like a beach landing corsairs theme event and so we're going to need to do like a beachhead piece of terrain and with like water effects and stuff like that and then we're going to need to do boats and she was like oh i can make the boats and i was like okay cool have them ready by sunday and i would check in with her as the week going on like hey how are the boats coming and she's like oh they're coming along and i never saw her working on them because she she's just a champ like that and she'll take the work on on her own time kind of thing which i absolutely did not want her to do but she assured me it was going to be fine so Sunday she shows up and I'm like, Hey, where are these boats? And she's like, Oh, they're right here. And she brings them in and she used like balsa wood and cloth for the sails. And it was, it was some of the most gorgeous, like scratch built terrain I had ever seen. I was completely floored by it. And we ended up having a great event later on. She did the same thing with like the, the gates themselves. Like when, when they open the gates and they go, uh, 
you know, the guys do the kind of suicidal charge into the troops in the in the last movie so that Frodo and them can get the ring in. Um, she made those gates, just scratch built it using like uh, you know, foam and, and plaster of Paris and popsicle sticks and, and just all kinds of, you know, just, just very creative, went to town with it. So I've seen a lot of really nutty things done with just scratch built terrain. And it's, you know, your imagination, you know, the, the biggest things I would recommend to anyone that's, that's thinking about scratch built terrain or, or is, is like the pink insulation foam. So if you go to like, yeah. Home Depot, Lowe's, wherever they have these massive sheets that are like eight foot by four foot, and then they're you know a couple inches thick, and you just get those, and you're gonna need to get. They have these kind of ex box cutting ones that come with like a full blade that's kind of that can flex, that's bendy, and so you can pull out the blade as as long as you want it and then you can lock it in place and then you can use that to kind of carve through the foam and you can make a ton of stuff doing that you you can chop it you know you can carve it up and make uh hills it's great for making hills it's great for making pillars walls uh you you name it uh, what you know, anything especially for things that look more uh either natural or things that look more kind of rugged where because you can carve into it and make like you know claw marks and battle damage and uh there's just so much you can do with it it's endless and i and i'm sure for anybody listening i am sure you just do some youtube searches on like some scratch built terrain you will find a million ideas i i you know just off the top of my head i can already think of like a half dozen of these i've seen not even that long ago where someone was making a custom table or like sarastro does some guides he did this really cool um uh he recreated a building which i guess is like a hobby shop that's near him uh that he wanted to kind of immortalize so to speak into a terrain piece for his mcp table uh it's really comes down to how much work you want to put into it. It's its own hobby, basically. You can absolutely make it a labor of love. Or like my original example with the, the German foreign exchange students, you could just do something quick and dirty as it, as it you know, kind of you get inspired by just to have a nice another little piece on your table. Uh, it's, it's endless. It's, you know, this is one of those topics that we could go on forever about. There's so much you can do with Scratch Bill. Yeah, I... I... Definitely agree. There, there's there's a ton out there that that's really good and probably can give you know better advice. I think it just kind of comes down to keeping your macro goal in mind and then um, and searching for ideas to fill that out. Yeah. Um. And you know, I I just want to shout out a couple small terrain manufacturers that you know I've I like um, and have used and you know some of this stuff I, I've used for actual basing bits and and some you know make solid like one-off terrain. Um, Mantic has, has started putting out um, some really you know good uh, plastic terrain. It's in their terrain crate series. They have like some nice cityscape stuff. They have some nice industrial pipes that I've used. Um, you know, they they have all kinds of stuff. I, I think that they oh, that's monster terrain has trees, but yeah, terrain crate by Mantic. They have a lot of relatively cheap terrain. Nolzers, um, like the D and D people, actually have some you know solid uh, terrain packs. Um, I, I find them more useful for like 
the little bits and bobs that go with the terrain rather than the actual, you know, terrain pieces themselves. Although, you know, they have one or two pieces that work, you know, well enough for like a size one or size two terrain. Um, if, if you're not into painting your own terrain, there, there's a lot of places that do like uh, pre-painted MDF terrain. So one of the um, places that I really like to get stuff from is uh, Black Sight Studio. They they do pre-painted terrain. Um, they they actually have a lot of uh, fun games, and um, I like that their terrain. So they're they're like an indie game developer and uh, terrain maker that comes pre-painted. And then obviously Games Workshop makes you know buckets and buckets of terrain because like they've really upped their game on making the uh, the three D terrain. I think that there's a solid opportunity that you can get some solid deals like secondhand on on their terrain. So, yeah, you know, yeah. Well, while they're not the most cost efficient option, and yeah, you, know, you basically have to uh, scrape off fifteen skulls or a or you know, <laughs> imperial aquilas. Like it is a solid uh, option to try to look for, you know, secondhand deals or, or just get it firsthand. Um, yeah. Like their terrain. Effect. I I always joke with Games Workshop stuff that somewhere in the Games Workshop universe in forty k, there's a port. Uh, tibia and femur salesman who can't feed his family because everybody's yeah. just buying the skulls. Uh, yeah, it's it is funny to me that how how they just go overboard on the skulls on stuff. I think that's probably one of the biggest complaints I always hear from people about uh, pretty much anything that they do is lots and lots of skulls. Um, yeah, with the literal skulls and then like the sculpted skulls on like all the buildings. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, as far as the the stuff you just mentioned, um, I actually kickstarted the terrain crate stuff from Mantic for the oh, okay. for the urban stuff because uh, I so I also played the Walking Dead game. My wife loves that game, so we actually play that one all the time. And uh, really fun little game. It's not in production anymore, tragically, uh, but fun little game. Uh, it's a little it's a bit smaller scale, so uh, some of the terrain will work fine for MCP and some of it not so much. But uh, the, they're great deals. The terrain crate stuff is is phenomenal value, and you get a just ton of little stuff. So just being able to have kind of a, you know more variety with your city stuff and your urban stuff, I think it's really good to get some of that. And it just gives you kind of more options. So if you wanted to, you know, instead of having all your fights happen out on a street, if you wanted to have it happen indoors in a store or in some industrial, like in a warehouse or something like that, like a ton of their terrain works really well for that kind of stuff. And it's super cheap. Uh, And it's pretty good quality, too. It's like kind of a hard plastic. Uh, It's pretty easy to work with. Um, it lends itself well to some quicker paint techniques. So I highly recommend the Mantix Terrain Crate stuff. And then alternatively, as far as the MDF stuff goes, I have a bunch of the MDF buildings. They're not the pre-painted ones, though. They're from TT Combat is the site that I got mine from. And they, I believe they do a, a Venetian-themed miniature game called uh, uh, Carnival miniatures look really cool i haven't dipped my toes into it at all but they do a ton of mdf stuff i think that's how they got their start and the the reason i became aware of them is because playing the batman miniatures game unlike mcp where you don't want a ton of big buildings in mcp that would make the game very difficult to play for most you know unless you're web warriors you're gonna drive yourself nuts playing that 
uh, in Batman miniature game, you want lots of large buildings because you have a lot of characters that have like a lot of ver verticality to their movement and things like that. And so uh, I went and got a ton of these MDF kits, and uh, they have some really nice MDF kits. They're they're a, their own challenge to paint because a lot of the detail on like the side of the buildings is very shallow just the, in the nature of the way the MDF etching stuff works. So they're they're a unique challenge from a painting standpoint, but a lot of the the buildings and 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 the various other stuff, they also have like subway entrances and park benches. They have a ton of different stuff you could get that works great for MCP and is uh is very very good value like you, you can get a lot of terrain from them for fairly cheap so that's that's another thing i would highly recommend and you can of course do the the pre-painted versions or the um or, you know or the non and and either way they're they're good stuff yeah it's, it's really interesting to hear you say i i when i get the mdf stuff i try to get well i i don't really get it that often i've, I've gotten it for a couple of games but i i try to um get pre-painted stuff because of such of a challenge it is to paint the mdf um that, that's interesting to hear you say like it's it's not too bad to paint through yeah yeah it, it's you know painting terrain and i guess on that topic we can start getting into how do you go about painting terrain because you know as as i mentioned earlier it, it's I, I think because people's mentality on the painting terrain versus painting minis is is just different. It tends to be anyway, unless unless the terrain stuff really is your hobby, uh, then you're gonna have a different approach to it. And because of that, I think there are different things to think about in terms of how you approach, uh, you know, knocking out your terrain, and and that way you can have a painted table to play on. Yeah, for sure. And um, so so that that does transition as well to kind of the um leaving the hobby focus of this behind and focusing on more like painting techniques that I've used. And I, I think this goes back to tie it into a listener question from, you know, a couple of weeks ago now that was, you know, how, how do you, you know, approach painting terrain in a way that um, you know, it's not necessarily airbrush focused. Uh, I, I will say with the airbrush, airbrush works really well for painting terrain. Um, I, I think that that's kind of maybe self-evident, but um, you know, uh, I guess I was going to focus more on a couple of ways that you could paint terrain without, you know, needing a, uh, you know, an airbrush type thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, my experience with airbrushing is pretty much entirely base coating, and so when it comes to uh, airbrushing and terrain, I, I think terrain tends to have much larger surface areas and so airbrushing is really useful for that and so i i have gotten in the habit now of any time i'm about to paint terrain i i ask myself is there a color i can base coat this that will save me a ton of time and then i just take the time to do that uh, so i highly recommend that for anybody however you don't always well, need I, to I, do that and it definitely depends on the yeah yeah, and, and just to say, you know, one of the things I want to think about is, is or have have listeners think about is because, you know, you're you're working with such big flat areas. Um, this is this is where a lot of cheating, like hobby cheating techniques, come in. And um, I, I I think we'll we'll say it, but uh, you know, part of painting terrain is is thinking about where to focus time. So, to, to the extent that you can get those big block colors done, if if you use an airbrush, that's a good way to do it. If you don't have an airbrush, there's a lot of options for colored primers that I think work really well. Um, 
you know, game manufacturers have them, but um, I think Krylon is, is kind of my um, rattle can primer of choice that you can get, you know, in Walmart and stuff. And, and they have a lot of colored options that I think work really well. So, so you know, colored primer is a way to get those big block colors. If, you, if you're thinking about a building and you want like a brown, you know, or a green, start with a Krylon uh, rattle can primer or an airbrush. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Any anything you can do, especially because painting terrain tends to be rather daunting. Uh, it, anything you can do to cut down the the more tedious parts of it is recommended. I, I know for me, the hardest part for me painting any miniature is just the base coating portion of it because that's you know as you're painting the base coating portion, of it, it's not looking great because it's just all a flat color. There's no definition. And so it's the part for me personally, that's hard to get through that like, oh, I want to be done with the base coat of this so I can start actually doing the stuff that makes me feel like I'm a decent painter where I'm parting to put like shade and highlight and it, it starts to actually come to life. And terrain's no different. It, it the, you know, if I had to, paint the Sanctum Sanctorum and I'm doing the entire thing by hand with no airbrushing, I, I would lose my mind. That, that would completely drive me nuts. And so uh, taking advantage of anything you can do to cut down on that uh, is highly recommended. Uh, you know, it, whether it's, uh, you know, with an airbrush or a rattle can or something along those lines, one of the things I've recently stumbled across is I decided to experiment with kind of underpainting, which everybody's calling slap chop. I did that with my uh, my crashed sentinel terrain, specifically with the the four piece terrain, the four size, the the actual quick change station, and I went through and just you know dry brushed the the bejesus out of it, and then went through with some some contrasts and. Uh, it's really good for getting you a basic base coat on the terrain that already has some depth to it. And then from there, how much work you want to put into it to kind of punch it up, to give it some more highlights, to play around with it, to make it pop, is, an, is dealer's choice, right? It's, an, it's entirely up to you from there. But since I used a quick, dirty, you know, time-saving technique to knock out the basic part of it. I now have a piece of terrain that even as is, I can put it down on the table and play games and I'm not, you know, I don't feel embarrassed to have it on the table kind of thing. Like it looks finished already and just how much more finished you want to make it is up to you. So any, any kind of time-saving technique you can for painting terrain, I highly recommend. Yeah. What 100%. Um, uh, one one last thing before I turn it over to you to talk about, you know, where do you want to focus your um, detail work on is um, you mentioned dry brushing for getting an underpainting. Um, one, you know, technique I just want to talk through to, you know, m maybe there's not a rattle can primer that is the exact color you're looking for. Maybe, um, you know, you want one piece to be a color and then... Um, uh, you know, you don't have an airbrush and you want to avoid, you know, painting that in a traditional brush way. I, I think that dry brushing can be used for painting large blank, like large flat panels, but you have to do it in like a specific way. Um, so, you know, the technique that I would use for dry brushing to actually paint a color on is use a large makeup brush. Um, 
I, I think that that advice for dry brushing is kind of out there, but makeup brushes that you'd get at a dollar store for like eight cents or whatever, or maybe more than eight cents, maybe like a couple bucks, but are, are really good for, for doing this. Um, but you load up your paint on there. You, you don't get off quite as much as you normally would when, you know, you think about dry brushing. And then you make very circular motions along the panel that you're trying to make the color. Um, the circular motions, like I, I don't, I always think about it as like making a like buffing your your dry brush color on there. Mm. It doesn't give a smooth color, but you know, in my opinion, getting a smooth color on a lot of panels is kind of maybe a fool's errand when it comes to terrain. There's there's very few things except for maybe like plastic sheeting that you'd see like used in construction that will actually have a very smooth texture on them. So, you know, when you're um, painting terrain in, in this way with this, you know, circular dry brush technique, it, it's it's actually, um, it, it's interesting to paint it this way because you actually get a texture that looks more natural than if you're um, working with a very smooth texture on it. So. The technique again is is dry brush with a you know a makeup dry brush or sorry, do dry brushing. Use a like very broad area makeup brush, and do it with a circular motion. So you're kind of buffing in the color. Um, this this gives a really you know nice look, and and it's typically what honestly what I do for for dry brushing or for painting flat areas on terrain. Um, if I don't want it to be you know airbrushed or whatever. But again, it, it doesn't take much time, and it, it's not going to be the focal point of your model or your piece of terrain, I should say. So the, um, you know, the real juice where you get a lot of that is exactly where you were talking about Moriartis, where you're um, doing a lot more of that, more of that detailed work that gives you a better sense of, uh, you know, what the terrain, like like where the focus of the terrain should be. Yeah, yeah, no, and I think I think I'm glad you brought that up actually because. Uh, it it kind of gets into the idea of well should it be rough or should it be smooth and really that comes down to the terrain right because yeah. uh, like to give you an example I I talked about how I, I ended up pouring a ton of work into my dump truck and don't get me wrong I'm really proud of my dump truck I think it looks awesome but uh, it also looks like it's never ever 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 picked up a single load of trash it looks pristine yeah. and the problem with that of course is I mean, it's to taste, right? Maybe it's a new dump truck. It hasn't started moving yet, and that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But if, you know, a dump truck is a perfect excuse to actually get rough with it, to make it look dinged up, to make it look like, especially on the back end where it's doing all the compacting and everything, that's a perfect opportunity to be like, oh, I'm going to play with weathering paints, or I'm going to just be intentionally sloppy with my uh, my buffing of it, and, and maybe, you know, not worry as much about how my coverage, and if I get, uh, a lot of the, when you see people that have, a lot of good weathering and scratchiness you would be surprised how often what they've accomplished is was not in, intentional and what i mean by that is not that they didn't intend it to look all scratchy but they're not going in individually and placing each little scratch right that's not how they achieve yeah. it what they're doing is intentionally being like i'm going to paint this in such a way where you know, I'm I'm going to be rough with my brushing in that area, knowing that it's going to leave all of these little scratches all over the place and this dirtiness and it make it look rough. And 
And that's an ideal thing to do with something like a dump truck. And so, like, when I go to do my next dump truck, I, I think I'm probably going to intentionally try to... Because uh, I, I wanted to have two. I have green and blue, because that, that was the color scheme uh, when I lived up in the, the Seattle area. my co The color scheme they have up there for their recycle and their trash are they have green for like their waste management trash and then blue for their recycle and so i that's kind of just what i defaulted into when i painted mine so i have my blue truck done and so when i go to do my green one i think i'm going to intentionally just try to weather that up and and maybe even play around with some weathering pigments or whatever and try and make it look like this thing's been you know it's a veteran truck it's been around a while kind of thing but it, but it's an interesting thing to think about is what what you're painting gives you an opportunity to you know use even more cheats and and get a quicker paint job out there that still looks good and maybe even looks better you know like somebody who put the work into weathering a dump truck you might look at that and then look at mine and be like no i definitely you know i definitely prefer theirs because it actually looks like an in-service dump truck and and they probably got the effects of that much quicker than what it took me to get mine so it's definitely one of those things where more time spent on trying to be immaculate with a paint job is not necessarily a good idea. And terrain is a great example of that because a lot of time with terrain, you do want it to have like a lived in weathered look because it's a building. It's a thing that sits outside like it by nature is going to get weathered, right? So Yeah, 100%. So yeah, I, I'm I'm definitely glad you brought that up. I think that's a great example, and and it also gets to in in the interest of like the time management portion of it. One of the things I kind of stumbled across was when I was painting my daily bugle and my daily grind uh, ones. I I didn't. It was very exploratory. I didn't go into it with any real intention of doing any of this, but I had saw somebody do kind of like a fade on the windows. I thought it looked cool, so I tried doing that, and that that turned out all right. Uh, and then I just kind of played around with the the lettering on the signs, so where it says the Daily Grind or Daily Bugle. I played around with trying to actually do a little bit of blending, and I spent a little more time on that portion of it than I did the rest of it. And then I tried to do some uh, kind of gradual fade to, to very mixed success on some of the panels. And you could definitely tell that I painted the Daily Bugle uh, after, like a long time after I painted the Daily Grind, because the Daily Grind is, is much kind of sloppier executed than the Daily Bugle is. But interestingly, I, I put a lot of work into like the windows and the sign and a little bit of work into like the walls and virtually everything else is borderline unpainted and, and what i mean by that is like if you look at all of the trim on everything so it's got you know the bottom trim where it meets the base it's got the top trim where the roof is and then it's got the trim on the sides uh, a lot of that i put very little work into and, and what i mean by that is a base coat and i looking at it now i don't even think i bothered with like a dry brush or even edge highlighting i did nothing else i just did a base yeah. coat on it but your eye when you look at it immediately gets drawn to the sign which is where i put 
footwork. And it's also kind of the highlight of the model, right? Like when you look at the daily grind, you're not looking at, ooh, uh, the coffee, the coffee uh, can or the little coffee maker. It, that's not where your eye is naturally drawn. Right. And so putting that work into looking, looking at the, the piece of terrain, and thinking, what is the thing everyone's going to focus on naturally, just based on the model, the, the piece of terrain? And then putting some work into that, and then doing more basic stuff everywhere else, uh, it pays off in spades. You'll, you'll get something that still looks really good, that people will be like, wow, that looks really cool. Like, I, I actually used my terrain yesterday to help out with a local, terrain, or a local uh, tournament. They needed some more terrain for a table, and I was like, well, I brought mine. Do you guys want to use mine? And they're like, sure. And I was getting compliments all day on it because people would look at it and be like, wow, that's really cool. You painted this. And, and again, th these are pretty basic. A lot of the paint jobs are I did very little work on it, but then I put a little extra work into just a couple parts on the piece of terrain, and uh, people love it. It looks really great. And so in the interest of not getting that burnout and pushing past any of that, oh my God, I have to get my terrain painted. All of those kind of mental blocks that get in the way of getting terrain painted, just a nice way of getting around it is uh, cheating. Cheat, 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 cheat. Uh, whatever little cheat tricks you can do to get the base stuff done quicker. And then, yeah, put, you know, 20, 30 minutes into like one part of it that you want to draw the eye to. And you'll be surprised how far it goes. You can get really nice looking terrain that you're happy with, uh, that you're proud to put on the table, and you don't have to drive yourself insane pumping, you know, uh, several hours into a piece of terrain. No, I think that's all all really well said. Yeah, I don't, I don't have too much to... Uh add to that because i don't paint a lot of terrain right right and i don't blame anyone i i have a hard time doing it too i still have a backlog of terrain and to be honest with you i don't know i'll ever finish it because i have a hard time motivating myself to paint per terrain like I, I suspect a lot of people do i mean maybe maybe i should take some of that advice to to just see um where i should uh yeah, maybe I'm spending too much time overthinking all the details, and, and maybe I should just leave more stuff unpainted. That that's really solid. We're not unpainted, but minimally painted. I think that's that's really good advice to keep in mind for um, you know, achieving at least finished terrain that that looks good. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know you'd be, and the nice thing about it too is if you stick to like very basic, you know, like oh, I base coated the trim, and then I put the work into the sign. There's no reason you can't go back later and put the work into the trim because it's just base coated. Like you can just yeah. add paint to that and punch it up if you want to. So I, I, I think it it gets it done. It gets it on the table. It gets it looking decent to where people are going to like it and you're going to feel good about it. And then from there, you can add to it and no one's going to be like, oh, God, now it finally looks painted because it looked painted beforehand just because you spent some time on a couple of key sections of the terrain so it's for me it's it's been a, a really invaluable kind of way of tricking myself into getting the terrain painted and looking good and and feeling like it's done without without the time investment that you know you dread of like oh i gotta go through and and do this detail and this detail and this detail and granted the terrain's probably not going to win any paint competitions if they did like a terrain paint competition i don't i you know i'm definitely not putting my daily bugle or my daily grind into that because there's just too much on it that is unpainted 
or, or base painted, you know, but that's not really why we're painting the terrain, right? You're not really doing that for the sake of a paint competition. You're doing that so that you can play your games. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, anything you want to say before we you know, wrap up the episode? Anything else on the terrain? Uh, I, I don't think so. It, again, that's one of those topics you could go on forever about, uh, and we kind of did. Uh, so, uh, but I, I would highly recommend anybody that really wants to dig into the terrain side of it. Uh, there are, you know, YouTube places like that. There's millions and millions of, well, that's probably an exaggeration, but there's, there's countless videos out there, uh, that can give you ideas and can be sources of inspiration, uh, whether it's the painting side of it, whether it's the, the hobby side of it, actually like building it, um, it, it it's it can be its own hobby and it can be very rewarding but uh, all, uh, the best thing i can say is you can save yourself a lot of headache and a lot of regret by just thinking through what you want out of it before you start if you just start putting paint on a piece of terrain uh and you're not really putting any thought into what do i want out of this piece of terrain and things like that uh y you could end up with some regrets and some wasted time so just just think it out beforehand is what I would recommend. I, I think it, it saves a lot of time and, and gives you something that you're happier with in the end. Yeah, I think that that's really good advice and really ties in well to, you know, what your approach should be uh, for, for painting miniatures. Well, with that, we're going to wrap up the episode here. Um, i got to pull up my show notes but but thanks for listening i you know this kind of was born out of a, a listener question and and i hope that we at least answered it in a way that was pseudo helpful um if not you know we do have the discord where there are listener questions if you're listening to this and you're not in the discord uh there's a link in the show notes it's a you know a, a place to connect with the community and and you know try to build that group of painters who are looking to improve there's there's a lot of um you know, discussion in there that I'm I'm really happy with how it goes, and you know, people are, you know, using it to just talk about painting. Um, there's a couple of channels in there. There's there's two for showing off your minis. One is just to show off what you've done. If it's a work in progress shot, if it's just something, you know, a finished product that you're happy about, um, you know, that's in there just to you know, show off and celebrate what you've done in the hobby. You know, this week, uh, there is a channel for looking for CNC where if you know you want comments or criticism or, or any feedback on something you've been working on, put it in there and, you know, I'll try to get back to you. I've been a little bit, uh, you know, busy recently, but, you know, there, hopefully you will receive comments uh, and, and we'll try to get some feedback to you on, on what you've done. Um, it's, it's a good channel for that. I, I've enjoyed using it. There is a listener questions channel and um, a hobby resources channel where, you know, people and myself have been posting anything they kind of see that is interesting or useful for the hobby. And then of course, there's just a general chat. So join the Discord, uh, be a part of the, uh, you know, the Hobbyverse community. Um, if you want to follow us, follow me on social media. I am Waxy underscore Sandwich on, uh, on Instagram. Uh, and I am Moriartist7 on Instagram. Yes, and uh, you can follow Moriartist's blog. Yeah, I have. I run a blog mainly focused on MCP, going through you know every, everything I've learned and my whole process, why I make the decisions that I do, uh, and I update it fairly regularly. Um, and that is moriartistminis.wordpress.com. 
Awesome. Well, yeah, that'll do it for us today. Uh, everyone enjoy their painting this week. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm inspired. I want to try to paint one piece of terrain before next week. I want to put that on my goals. Cool. I I look forward to uh, critiquing it heavily. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, I may or may not achieve that, but I'm, I'm certainly going to try to. Gotcha. Yeah, I think I'm going to jump back into my Sentinel, probably. Because I, I need to get working on that Prime. All right. Well, everyone, uh, thanks for joining us. We will we'll talk to you next time. All right. Keep painting, guys.